Welcome to Exploring Beyond the Edge with Dr. Cynthia Andrews. Are you ready to explore the conscious path around you? Open your heart and mind and awaken your curiosity? You've stopped into the right place. Now, here is your host, Dr. Cynthia Andrews. Hey there, this is Cynthia. Thank you for tuning in and showing up. I'm here tonight with my co-host, Colin. Uh, good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining us. Uh, Cynthia and I would want to start again the second program by sending our thoughts and prayers to our family and friends and all folks down there in California uh, continuing to suffer the dreadful fires that we have seen now for too long. Uh, hold in there. Um, rain apparently is on the way, maybe coming with a few of its own problems, but uh, hold in there and know that we are thinking of you. Yes, and if there's anything that we can do on this program to be helpful, please, you know, anyone who's listening, let us know. So tonight, folks, I'm going to be interviewing Colin, my co-host here. Just for a change. Just for a change. But, you know, I just want to say that people who know Colin know that for the past few years he has been... um, refusing to do interviews and not going out into public very much. And I'm very grateful that he's here tonight answering questions and and, and putting the, the conversation forward. And so for anybody who doesn't know Colin, um, he's been researching crop circles, UFO, and consciousness since 1983. And he provides a continuity between past research, the past research era, and the present events that are going on. He has extensive personal experiences, and he has has relationships with, with some of the people who are thought leaders in the fields, and so he really has quite a contribution to make. Colin believes that interactions with an unknown intelligence are challenging people to a higher level of consciousness, and he's calling for openness, honesty, in government and private research, and respect for divergent opinions with cooperation between investigators from all areas. So thank you, Colin, for being here tonight uh, to talk with us. It's a pleasure, Cynthia. Kind of. So, all right, so to get the conversation going, according to the Huffington Post in an article in August of 2017, nearly half of Americans believe that there is off planet intelligence or aliens or whatever you would like to call them and and as many people believe that they are probably visiting earth otherwise in other words that there are ufos that ufos are real so we're not at a place anymore where we have to convince people that these things are real most people at least half the population already believe that and the and the evidence that has has moved people in this direction is their own personal experiences as well as reports from the military and and most recently the amount of information that the government has been putting out about um, military interactions. But what we've noticed over the years is that the sightings have evolved from lights in the sky to complex interactions between the lights and individuals. And some of these interactions are, are quite physical and some of them are almost telepathic so I wondered if you would share maybe one of each and and, and why they're different and how they're different sure well to uh, just to mention the scale uh, is enormous when you look across the years of not just my own work of course but many other excellent researchers that are out there doing fantastic work and I think one should just mention that at this point this is a conglomeration of many many thousands of hours by many good folks. 
Um, but yes, uh, one example uh, that comes immediately to mind, one of many, of course, is a surveillance operation that uh, I was involved in in 1991 on a hilltop overlooking a crop circle hotspot at Alton Barnes in England. Now, remember, throughout this program, we're not going to be, I'm certainly not going to be talking about, although I'll answer any calls that might come in, of course, about uh, what that is behind the crop circles. There's going to be an inference here and there, but uh, that's not the debate. Uh, We're moving beyond that now. We're getting down to what we have and what's going on. So during this surveillance operation in 91, it was the early hours of the morning. I was with a television crew from Nippon Television and a small group of individuals that had been working with me over the years and uh, we were set up, television cameras there, lights on, and we're ready for anything unusual to happen, looking straight down into what is known as the East Field, a field that has produced many circles over many years. And, uh, and suddenly an, uh, a, an amber light appeared, maybe about 30 degrees above the horizon. It was shimmering, it had a phosphorus quality to it. We all were watching it and nobody saying anything for a few seconds. And the TV crew started filming filming this. Uh, one of them, the lighting engineer, picked up a bright beam of light, a flashlight, a, what would you call it here? A, a, a flashlight. A flashlight. And flashed it directly, to, beamed the light towards the, the uh, light itself. And as they came into alignment, the light in the sky diminished, it went off, and it came back on again. The... The guy did the same thing again several times, twice, three times, four times, and it repeated the pattern. When I was the uh, major civil emergency light, um, major civil emergency planning officer for Central Southern England uh, in the Test Valley area at that time, and I had access and radios all over my vehicle and etc., which I had with me access to all kinds of people, and I telephoned. Um, London Heathrow, actually it was, it was the West Drayton Flight Control Centre near London Heathrow, and asked if they would, I didn't expect this, but I asked if they were able to uh, confirm or not whether aircraft were in that vicinity. Remember, this is early hours of the morning, there's not a lot going on up in the sky, but uh, West Drayton controls British airspace, and they were able to say, well, there actually are two aircraft up there. One of them is moving in your general direction, but they're well away. And I said, is there absolutely any chance that the pilots of these two aircraft would be prepared to extinguish their external lights? I heard them chattering going on to these two aircraft. And they came back to say that it's been offered for about 120 seconds and been make it sharp. They will instruct their inside cabin to be extinguished as well as external lights and so we were in a position here now for the i think probably for the first time in my experience we were able positively to uh, eliminate aircraft from from this um, from the situation and indeed the light continued to respond to the lighting engineer this was filmed it has been shown in japan a number of a number of occasions it has not been shown in the western world but that was one example of direct intervention or interaction uh, that cannot be rationally at the moment rationally explained so that was a physical interaction what physical. about a psychic type of interaction what kind of things are reported there well funnily enough uh there again are many, 
But one example, which is comes a little bit close to home here, uh, involved crop circle makers. These are the people that make uh, crop circles. The circle maker, John Lamberg, he may well be listening, tells of distortions that cause mistakes to be made in the construction of the designs, which then proved to have a greater significance afterwards. In one instance, Lumberg describes making a mistake in the execution of a design when, unbeknown to him, the team he was working with also, unbeknown to them, another team was making a circle in an adjacent field. This is in the middle of nowhere in central southern England, two teams at work, and a mistake is made. The mistake in the formation Lumberg was involved in corresponded directly to the other formation, so that it seemed as if one was interacting with the other. Another circle maker, Matthew Williams, many people out there will know Matthew has been involved in making circles and indeed researching them too. He's been two sides of the fence. Also talks of teams working in the fields, unknowingly interacting with each other. In other instances, mistakes point to ancient sites and landscape contours and coloration that are not visible from the ground. And I would just add to that, this is something that, I mean, an English term knocks my socks off, meaning it really astounds me, is the... um, is this particular part of the phenomenon where from the air you can see slight variations in the nutritional uptake of the plants when the nitrogen is applied for example the plants change their composition and color slightly when the farmers uh, apply this and the boundaries of the tractor in turning at the end of the field or underground archaeological sites are positioned precisely on those um, those designs that, that, that are formed, formed by people or not, whether by people, and let's stay with that, whether by people or not, they cannot see these contours on the ground at all, let alone at night. Hmm. So would you, and I think we could also say that a lot of people report being, you know, just driving down the road and kind of being instructed to go to a certain place, not be, not that they're told anything, but they're compelled to go to a certain place and then in that place an event will happen yeah. and see a UFO or, or have some kind of an interaction. Absolutely. So our minds are being engaged and, and that brings us to the question of can these intelligences override human actions? Can they control military airplanes? Can they interface with our technology? This is an important one. Uh, It's an important one because the answer to that is yes, they can. And it has been demonstrated uh, by uh, by these objects uh, uh, on a number of occasions. They can... uh, they can interfere and unlock locked-on devices from our military aircraft, fighter aircraft, that are locking on to these UFOs in pursuit of them. When they need to pursue, they need to lock on and, and you know, takes their GPS systems, etc., onto the location of the UFO. And uh, at will, these objects will unlock those systems. They also, they take it a step further, um, th- this is uh, um, a case which we're not going to be able to go into detail. It would take two programs to do it. Many in the, that are studying UFO will know of the uh, Nimitz aircraft carrier incident off of the west coast in the Pacific 
the west coast of California in 2004. The details, I'm afraid, for another time. But it was important to be saying here is that the the large number of UFOs that were seen and filmed, um, they were playing with these pilots on one occasion and w w appeared, not appeared to, but actually moved itself in this particular instance from the in front of the aircraft itself and took up a new position to where the aircraft was intending to go. And so you have this reading of intention, reading of the, the mind of the, of, of the human being involved. So they're really inside our, our heads a little bit. So that I, you know brings us to a question I almost don't even want to ask, but is this, does this intelligence that we're interacting with that's, that can control technology and get inside of our heads, does it exhibit helpful or, or unhelpful intent towards life on Earth or to a human life on Earth? I wonder if I could just come back to that one, Cynthia. I think that would be fine. I'd come back to it because <laughs> there is actually, I think, a little more, something a little more important that I would should place in front of that. I've gotten to know and like, trust certainly, uh, Captain Robert, um, Robert, Robert Salas, and uh, Robert spent 21 years with the FAA in the Air Force and was an air traffic controller and a missile launch officer as well as an engineer on the Titan III missiles. Here's a guy who can sh should be able to trust, right? Well, Robert was controlling at the control facilities um, uh, where the uh, Titan um I'm trying to remember the name of the actual missiles that were were there. I, I can't pull it back, but the nuclear uh, warheads that he was in charge of launching, their their coding structure was being interfered with when from above a ground level, um, the uh, military were reporting a UFO hovering above that facility at Monstrum Air Force Base. And as he was informing his superior of what was happening, the codes were, lights were coming on, the codes were dropping out, and the, the whole um, 16 nuclear missiles were made non-operational, and, and not just there, but at two facilities immediately after the first UFO showed up um, above their heads at the base there. So, you know, th that's another direct interference mm. with our systems. And it's... It almost sounds like it's protective in some way, keeping us from making uh, mistakes of different kinds, and yeah. which kind of brings us back to what many people report, you know, about these interactions being instructional. You and I had an instructional interaction in 1994 um, when we kind of had a download of information relating to each of our fields of expertise and it seems to me that people often report that that healing devices the information for how to develop the healing device is is downloaded to somebody or you know i don't know how to put it really yeah um, yeah ab yes absolutely new technologies and so you know what are your thoughts about those well uh it's it's very it's very hard to make too much of of them because we just simply don't know the intention you know it's uh, this this is this is going to be a difficult area until this expands and uh, develops evolves to the point that we can pick up on uh, intention and know you know where it is we're supposed to be going with it but i think it's certainly stretching our minds you know it, it's putting us in a better place to 
fully implement the capacity that we have to to work on these things. It's like sowing seeds, and we're expected to take them up and germinate them. It does feel like we're being prepared for future encounters. That we, that you know, that we we are in development, and we're being prepared for different things. Yeah. Um, we have we have only a brief moment to break, but do you want to briefly say what was your most memorable experience? Well, uh, there truly are uh, really many, and I've not had any until I started this work in '83. Uh, pretty well known, but I, I think it has to be uh, because of its um, just astounding inability to decipher what was why it was happening, was with uh, Dr. Stephen Greer. Uh, we had about 50 of us were stood there, and uh, we were there to watch the sky and see if anything unusual happened. Um, and when a, a white light came through the cloud at high speed, split into two, that's what I saw, that's what half of the 50-odd people there saw. The other 25-odd, that's 25 seeing what I saw, another 25 seeing a cherry red light uh, coming at speed directly over our heads. Two different descriptions, but, you know, all happening at the same time. Yeah, it's, um, it reminds me of what Dean Radin was saying last week, that different areas of your brain can be, um, you know, activated, and that's an interesting thing. So we're going into a break now, and, and we'll be back in just a few moments to talk more with Colin Andrews. You can reach him on Facebook or at his website, colinandrews.net. Um, A lot of the information we're talking about tonight is in his latest book, On the Edge of Reality, which you can get on Amazon or at my website, explorationsandenergy.com. Also, just to say that Colin has a GoFundMe project going on right now. He's trying to raise $3,500 to have his website professionally re-engineered just so that we can make as much information available as possible. And anyone who's been on his website will know it definitely needs re-engineering. So, you know, consider a donation. And thank you to everyone who already has. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back with more from Colin. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com We all have the inner ability to use the gifts within ourselves to serve ourselves, our families, loved ones, and our communities. Once you have discovered these gifts and talents, you can promote harmony, peace, and hope. To find out how to harness your own gifts and talents, tune in to Get Ready. Get ready for your breakthrough with host Felicia A. Hill, live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and share with others. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Exploring Beyond the Edge. 
To reach Dr. Cynthia Andrews or her guest today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to energyexplorations at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. We're talking today with Colin Andrews. So, Colin, I wanted to bring up also an experience that you and I had in Wales where we were sitting in a restaurant. We were looking out the window. I saw, in my memory, of seeing a black garbage bag that just seemed to be floating in the air. It seemed to have gotten caught in some kind of an updraft, and it was hanging around the level of, you know, just below the telephone wires. And we got up and we went outside and it was still just hanging around by the telephone wire, kind of just floating. And we stopped and looked at it. And as we were looking at it, wondering why it wasn't either going up or coming down or going somewhere, a group of crows or ravens came around and attacked it. And when they began to attack it, it rolled into a very tight cylinder and became a shiny hard object and flew off at speed over over the the trees and i was just wondering what you've learned about that event since we had it well i'm reliving it as you're talking it one of the most extraordinary things i've ever seen yeah it was totally inexplicable not as if it was a blurry little like mm-hmm. a, it could have been anything, you know, in a photograph, like a small bird or something miles no, away. We were about this five was feet right away, in yeah. front of us. Yeah, I know, absolutely. Uh, that was a, the place, just for anybody who knows, uh, the area, Crickhowell in Wales, a very small little hamlet. And yeah, it was exactly as you've described it. What, what was the just extraordinarily bizarre was that as these, uh, probably about half a dozen crows or, mm-hmm. or more perhaps, were dive bombing it, they clearly were not happy with it mm-hmm. or they were checking it out. Mm-hmm. They were pecking at it, it was stretching and then it, it was as if there was a hand inside the bag. Yeah, because, yeah. You know, but anyway, yes, you should say it, it turned that cylinder and a, a sphere, I think, that's what I saw too. It was, it was like quick shift shape. Mm-hmm. shaping and away away it went but since then of course you know i've studied and tried to find other reports to see you know how they might equate and one was uh, much closer to me than i had realized came from the circle makers again this is the group this is why we mustn't underestimate the entirety of the phenomena of the crop circles to eliminate those that you associate with being man-made uh, of which many if not most are we throw the whole thing we throw the whole thing away and don't appreciate what it is we're looking at because here we have people that have gone out half a dozen or so of them walking up a country lane you know up a track to a field that they have in mind to make a crop design and they too witness a black shape which is just like a black plastic bag they said late in the evening or just around sunset and it too was moving and shifting around in strange ways they rushed to get under this canopy out from under the canopy of trees to see it and it had moved away at such a rate that it was now no longer visible that was the second only the other report i had ever heard of but the, the next one came as i was looking through the internet uh, and this is a, 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 a quite extraordinary ongoing event that's happening very frequently and being filmed um, by a, a, a very nice woman, um, 
Gladys, Gladys Cordova in Peru. And, uh, you know, for anybody who's really wanting to follow this up, please go to her um, YouTube site, G-C-E-P-E-U-R-E-R-U. I'm sorry, let me say that again. G-C-E-P-E-R-U. And search for Gladys Cordova. And just look for yourselves to see. You'll see there what look like white plastic bags. She's had several occasions when they have been the same as ours, this dense black, just like a garbage bag, that um, change shapes and interact with her. Let me just write, uh, read to you, if I may. Have we got a few seconds yeah, here? Yeah, go right ahead. Um, let me just read to you a, a note that she sent to me for this program. Uh, it has been nine years of continuous observation. I, she doesn't speak English, so this has been translated for her. I doesn't know the exactly the origin and structure of these beings that we had spotted in the hill in front of my house, like around one kilometer away. The interesting thing is the way that they catch my attention. For example, they shine to capture my attention, and I can record them on video. I saw them in different states, like lights, like plasmic energy, like plastic, aluminum foil, like clouds, like a candle and a metallic balloon. This kind of shapes form and show me the ease of transformation of these beings, and she calls them beings. They challenge traditional physics because I record them going through the rocks, like Casper. They go through the rocks. Also, they can fly and levitate. They drop rays of light. It demonstrates an ability to create what it desires or what it desires to be. It tests our reactions as well as the reaction of our species. So, you know, it's... it's it's interesting because I felt like the bag that we saw was also trying to capture our attention. It was like dancing in front of the window that we were at trying yeah, to get us to look a- at a- it. Absolutely. <laughs> she says that they, you know, transforms on a, several occasions to a human shape and to bird shapes. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, I can't believe we're, we're sat here talking about anything so bizarre. So she's talking about an ease of transformation, and she's talking about morphing from one thing into the other thing, right? Yeah. So why is that important? Well, I think it's important because what it does, again, is this expansive suggestion. It cannot be replicated. We have no ability to do this. And so we must look at it in a different light, in an expansive fashion. We cannot replicate this. It sets itself aside. It poses also the question, is is it an object, a machine, or is it a biological creature? Mm. You know, and that's interesting too, because at one point when the rooks were interacting with it, it felt like a biological creature. But yeah. when it, but when it became like that cigar shape that yeah, flew up exactly over the trees, right. it was very much, it was metallic and, and like a vehicle. That's, exactly right. That's an interesting um, thing. Well, all of this takes us to another arena altogether, which is what does the government know, and and what's the government doing with all of this and so just you know very very brief history one sentence history that in the past you know Stephen Greer had been had initiated the disclosure project where he brought forward admirals and military people and and all different people from within the government to expose what they knew in a public forum and then that was taken over that project was taken over by Steve Bassett and the two of them kind of spearheaded this whole disclosure project. 
then we had this whole thing where many different governments, the British government in particular, started revealing what was in their um, databases their or in their files yeah, about... admitted they had them to start with, yeah. whereas they had told us they hadn't. Right. Um, our government has been a little bit more lax, but recently, in the last four yeah. or five years, more information has been coming out. And now there's this whole new government group that Harry Reid was talking about not long ago. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, this will be one that uh, those that are following research of UFOs will be fairly familiar by now in the last few weeks since the New York Times published a major article uh, December last year. But for the listeners unfamiliar, this is a, a group known as the AATIP, which stands for Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program which was run by Luis uh, Elizondo, an official in in military intelligence deep inside the Pentagon. This was a secret defense department study of unidentified flying objects that was funded with an allocation of 22 million, secured, as you were suggesting, by uh, by the Senate Majority Leader then, Harry Reid, after meetings with Robert Bigelow, who is the CEO of Bigelow Aerospace, an organization that was for, um, for a while the reporting agency for all official U.S. UFO reports. He's also believed to, uh, that is, the new organization in a new warehouse is also believed to have um, materials thought to be of extraterrestrial origin. It is known that uh, there is analysis going on of some of that material. Reed secured funding for uh, Bigelow Aerospace to conduct a study into UFOs. The funding was obtained without a hearing, which is very bizarre, without a hearing or a floor debate, uh, because, of course, it's black budget, I guess, starting in late 2008. It is claimed that the investigations continued even after the funding ran out in 2012. Seemingly as part of its work, the U.S. government moved assets onto a UFO and paranormal hotspot known as the Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. Mm. This is a key site because of the frequency and the multiplex and the bizarre nature of the manifestations taking place there. This, to me, is a comparative site to Silbury Hill um, in Wiltshire, England. And I think just to say... Although that's an interesting comparison yeah. because because Skinwalker, as I understand it, most of the encounters that happen there are very frightening and would appear to be quite negative in their yeah. impact. Yes. And and Silver Hill is exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. It has raised the major question. I mean, you're looking negative to the, the point that we're looking at orbs of light, encouraging dogs to chase them in Utah and then vaporizing them. And, you know, we won't go into the rest. Anybody can read this in the Skinwalker book. But it's important to say that I'm speeding on here because this is an important one. The Pentagon's AATIP program officially ended in 2012. But similar work continues today, although denied, involving people from both the defense, that is the defunct Defense Department program and Bigelow's company. They have become part of a for-profit company to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, uh, which launched in October 2017 to research and reverse engineer 
UFOs, amongst other okay. goals. Hold a minute, stop. So what you're saying is that they have taken government information, they privatized it, and now they're back engineering it to put this forward as new technology? Is that what you're saying? Well, that's what it would suggest. Okay. That Just is what clarifying. it would suggest. Yeah, no, sure, certainly. Um, so the Science Academy of Arts and Science has mobilized a team of the most experienced, connected, and passionately curious minds from the U.S. intelligence community, including the CIA and the Department of Defense, that have been operating under the shadows of top secrecy for decades. Remember, we're looking at a long period when they denied any involvement, no threats of national, to national security, and here we have it now, it's all been going on. Secretly, what I would probably call a social engineering and scientific awareness program is being planned. Okay, so what is it that demands such careful handling? I propose that it's what we're talking about tonight. It's now a matter of not what we don't know about this subject, it's what we do know. So by that, I think that you mean taking what we do know and moving forward with it. Yeah. Yeah, and that, I, you know, is what we'll be certainly um, talking about in a few minutes. You know, I, I, I'm kind of thinking back to, to Crap Circles and Nick Pope and the situation in England and the release of information and, and how there was adamant, adamant denial that, that they had any interest at all in crop circles. And yet, why wouldn't they? Why would the government not be interested in anything that was happening in military land, in military airspace? You know, why would they not be interested? And, and the, yeah. the whole idea that there was, that, that they haven't had any research right well you you know uh, uh, you know much that many people don't that uh, you know I had correspondence going on with senior people right up to deputy prime minister level in the British government and in the royal family in parts of the royal family and uh, through my own members of parliament right to the home office etc etc to the police departments who were cooperating with me I had the correspondence to prove what I was saying and when I was saying that there was there were a number of significant um, aspects to the phenomena that that, that they were all themselves involved in. They not only denied they were, they they put out basically the picture that I was lying. And uh, I don't want this to be a negative program, so I'm going to cut that loose. But just to say that I was went on live BBC radio program with Nick Pope, who again may well be listening, uh, to, to um, in fact to read some of the evidence and to 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 show that uh, I had the evidence that I was going to publish in a book uh, that um, my statements were correct and honest and uh, they accepted he on the behalf of the Ministry of Defense that my version of the facts was correct mm. uh, yes and, as and this is proven well it to be have, we indeed. now know all right so um, there was a, one other question I wanted to ask you about um, your DC meeting. Uh, yes, you. What well, you would have? Would you? Okay. <laughs> How many seconds have I got? Well, would you want to come back to that? 
It's well, I can say briefly that there's information that that uh, was conveyed to me during a meeting. I was I was asked to present to government officials and uh, intelligence agencies mainly in D.C. Uh, back some years ago, and I was approached by a person at a very high level, uh, which uh, caused quite a panic with uh, many in suits and wires stuck in their ears uh, and and basically surrounded us when I was approached with some very sensitive information pertaining to Silbury Hill in England and events that were being monitored by UK and US um, departments. And this is the this is the subject of a book that you're going to be having yeah. coming up shortly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on at Silbury Hill, which, which mm-hmm. is of importance. Mm-hmm. And most of that has. So you know, when we look at Silbury Hill and then we look at at Skinwalker, I have to ask the question. And I know the people at Skinwalker Ranch who were investigating that George Knapp and and your friend from Canada. Yeah, well, I don't think we should mention them. Okay. Well, so. So these people we know are very positive intent, and, yeah. and yet one has to ask, is, is the difference between these two locations related to the intention with which people are bringing what to the investigation? You know, in one case, well, I think you know what I'm saying. Right? Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a fair point to make, and we, we've all got to be open and honest enough to go there with it. You know, unless we share these experiences, we're open about it, that it enters the public domain and therefore expands the whole conversation, we're not going to get there. We've got to understand who we are before we can understand anything else. We've got to get uh, we've got to get the act together here. Got to know thyself. All right. Know thyself, indeed. So um, I think we are heading into a break here, and we are going to come back shortly to talk with Colin Andrews. You can reach him on Facebook. You can reach him at his website, colinandrews.net. Um, his latest book, On the Edge of Reality, has a lot of the information we're talking about tonight is in there. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on my website, explorationsandenergy.com. And again, um, Colin does have a GoFundMe project to uh, redo his website, which is greatly needed. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back with more from Colin Andrews. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration that opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time with award-winning authors Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the Empowerment Channel. It's time for you to take a sweet and honest look at your life. Tune into Living Within the Sweet Spot with your host, Nikki Klegel. Each week, Nikki invites you to call into the program where she will connect with each listener to show the power of God's love in every unique instance. There are gracious gifts and elements of power within each one of us. You just need to discover them and find your life's purpose. Live healthier and happier. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Exploring Beyond the Edge. To reach Dr. Cynthia Andrews or her guest today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to energyexplorations at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. So welcome back. We're talking with Colin Andrews. And, you know, just to finish off the discussion we were having before break about government involvement in this research and in the disclosure projects, it seems to me that a lot of people are are waiting for the government to do something and they're acting as if the government has more awareness than we have of what's going on or that, that the government has more opportunity than we have to interact with. And I would just like to state from, you know, that that isn't true, that individuals are far more powerful than governments and having far more interactions than governments are. And then maybe all the governments have is a database. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think they're in a better position to be appropriate with the events too because they're in control of them. That is the public. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I do think that where they may well have an edge, they should have for what uh, how much of our money they spend on it, is that they have the technical know-how. They have the... Mm-hmm. You know, the ability up in the sky there with the satellites, which has gone, you know, it has certainly has become, you know, highly technical mm-hmm. now. So they have that and most of us don't. But I don't think they know a darn single thing more than we do about events on the ground. And I think we're just about to demonstrate some of those that, that is probably what's driving this paradigm shift that we're going through now where they know they have to become much more integrated and involved with the public you know in social engineering if that's what it takes we're there we are there right and and so that brings us to really what the topic of tonight's show is is that if individuals are having these interactions and one of the things you've been really strong about is that it's time for all of us to bring our information together to begin to talk and to share and to to be open and honest with each other about what we're experiencing so that we have a bigger picture and so what you know in that light what is the next step where are we well, let me just say that, you know, to tail off what you're saying there is that no government, no society, no religion, nobody owns our advancement in consciousness. No. That is ours. So, 
Um, sorry, what was your question? <laughs> yeah. What's the next step, Howard? Oh, the next step, yes, that's right. Right, no, seriously. Um, well, I think what it is, is this. And I'll just recap, because it's important to, um, you know, gently just bring us to where we are to that next step. What are we dealing with when considering the next step for society? What do we know? UFO and the ET has shown us the following. It transmits presence. It reads human intention. Interact with thought and human gesture. It can override human actions, including our most fearsome invention in the nuclear arsenal. Change its shape and form possibly its purpose. It appears and disappears, materialize and dematerialize at will. These are not possibilities. These are known facts. So we should ask ourselves the following. Can we influence the future by positive intentions while observing them? Remember the well-known principle, foundational principle in quantum physics you know, the, the observer effect. So the, it's how we feel what our intentions are as we're observing this escalating, evolving paradigm. There's no going back. We're moving forward now. This is where it has to go. So that the next step is coming together. So really you're talking about developing our inner responsiveness to the phenomenon. Like, like what is it that gets in the way within us to to the phenomenon itself so that we resist these interactions. And, uh, you know, frankly, that is going to be a lot of, of what next week's program is about. But when we are looking at our own inner resistances, the first thing that comes up for most people is fear. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's that, that's the one I think that's causing all the concern. Mm-hmm. And the, the care that has to be taken now in what I think is very clearly going to be a social, um, societal engineering, a social engineering uh, project of movies, of expanding the information that is known through people like Gaia, through... Uh, Which is already is, underway. All, all of that's yeah. underway. It, it has to be underway. You cannot go cold into a situation like this. You know, so what do we need to bring to this conversation, really? Which is, I think, it's faith and confidence in ourselves. Mm. This means a lot to me through personal experiences, mainly, but by what I've seen from others too. It's sincerity. These are values, but they're also, you know, it's it's who we are and what can make a difference in the future, you know, with, mm-hmm. with what's being demonstrated to us. It's what we're being prompted on. So much of this is prompting. You know, others, as you say, is material information that takes us forward. Mm. You know, it's reminding me of when we do spiritual work and we have to we have to overcome the things within us that that get in the way of our of our spiritual development. And so we have to meet those things in the outside world and we meet them in, in ways that trigger and bring the emotion to its fullest. And then when we when we overcome it, when we master it, the presence that we project has that confidence, has that sincerity and that openness because we've learned who we are inside. And so yeah. this whole 
encounter is a process of learning who we are. And maybe who we are as humans isn't really what we've been told we are all along. That, that is right. Uh, we, we, we're going to have to have a lot of respect for one another. We're going to have to show that, demonstrate it, and uh, take great care with one another. You know, that their religious beliefs uh, come with history and nobody can be blamed, nobody should be blamed for it. You know, we've got to, we've got to show compassion to one another here and for all species. And I, you know, I would just say, you know, very quickly that in, uh, going back to 87, many people would have heard me say this many times, so I'll just keep it to the, you know, to the, to the punchline as it were, which is when I was praying or meditating, you might say, you can use whichever terms you like. Only I know what was inside of me when I did this. This is why I've repeated it ever since 1987. It's, it, it's ludicrous to, to repeat a lie over so many years. I'm still here because of what happened there. And I was within sight almost just over the hill from Stonehenge. And I stood there alone and I put my hands together and I asked for a clue. I was stood just on the edge of a ring but an airline pilot had reported from the sky and um, I asked for a clue and shockingly I got one. It was a high energy electrostatic crackling sound very close to my feet. So what, what I was able to ascertain from that internal conversation was that my sincerity counted for something mm-hmm. that I was there alone I was only trying to prove something for myself mm-hmm. and, and you know with all that was going on in my life at that time sincerity is important compassion and respect for all life and in all forms and in all places this is important to our future without ET it's important, I think, with it too. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I think. You know, we should probably come towards our end with. Those are the values that that uh, that will guide us. Mm-hmm. And and you know, you've spent the last three decades looking at hot spots all over the planet, and you keep you know you've seen so many different areas of. Um, UFO activity of crop circle activity and you keep being drawn back to Silbury Hill which is as we said before going to be the subject of your next book and I'm just wondering you know in the in the three minutes or so that we have left if you could share with us um, what why that hot spot is so important what's what's special about Silbury Hill well not only does it have its own you might say energy. It has its, its own attraction for anybody that's been there and has witnessed it. Uh, it's an awesome site, the largest man-made uh, pyramidal mound. Well, in, in the way Europe. that it's built, isn't it? Isn't it a battery of sorts? It's a Clanche cell. There is an electrical potential. It's a very small one between the the top and the bottom. However relevant that is has never been fully explained or I don't think fully investigated either. But that's just one perspective. I keep returning there because the more I look, the more I hear, the more I see, the more reports I get, including the government information which is going to be revealed in this book. Like it or not, this is where it's, this is what's going to happen. I keep getting drawn back because of the quality of the multi-witness cases here. We're looking at the police, we're looking at military, a nuclear scientist, uh, many others 
that report extraordinary cases, multi-witness. I've, I've interviewed them personally, and I'm continuing to. I'm still involved very much with a couple of cases that I'm trying to kind of really finalize that I've got all the details right. They're outstanding. Something extraordinary is happening. And this is for us all now to understand and to grow with, to take into the mix, because this is the new paradigm that we are moving into. We have come to a crossroads, and the choice now is ours. So in the couple moments we have left, would you want to share one of the experiences that people have had in Silver Hill? Uh, yes, well, uh, this is... This well, is maybe the one with Clackwelly. Um Yes, well, Clackayelli, because you can describe the Clackayelli himself. Um, he, you, you know him as a friend. He native person from Aztec um, culture down in, in Mexico. Um, an amazing, an amazingly brilliant teacher and leader. Yeah, he, and he was uh, being driven. Uh, was a fairly elderly man, I believe uh, 90 so when he passed, mm-hmm. not all that long ago. He was in the back of a motor car being driven across Mexico. And uh, a, a light was behind the vehicle. He was into his head, was told to find the place of, of the last ceremonial dance. It was a sentence that was given to him and a pattern, a, a geometry. He came with his interpreter to our offices, your offices, Cynthia, mm-hmm. which you know I was sharing at the time in Guildford. And we looked for the pattern that he was looking for. One appeared almost identical that very day. As he, he was leaving the as office. As he was leaving the office, uh, a fax machine started up with Reg Presley of the Trogs, my friend at the time, talking about this very pattern. And indeed where it appeared? At the place of ceremonial dance. That's Silbury Hill. That's a brief story, but... There are many yeah, that are then, quite amazing. When we took him to, to oh, when we God, took him yeah. there, we were met by this young guy yeah. who comes bicycling over the hill. A cold winter's leaf day as well, he if just, I remember it. Out of nowhere, and stopped in front of Clackley Alley, and he says, what, what was it? Um, my ancestors, thank you for, your, for coming. Yeah, yeah, and this was a young boy on a bicycle riding across a ploughed field directly to Clacayel. Yeah. And the two of them, I could have cried when it happened. The old man looking in the young boy's eyes and the young boy saying just exactly that. I don't know how a young boy is she was. I think he might have been in his early 30s. On. Well, maybe in my gray matter, I was a little older than his then. Well, I, I remember as being a little bit younger than that, but uh, that's the story. Yes, and I do think that in, you know, I remember going up on top of Silbury Hill with Reg and his band, his music, and playing some of the, some of his music for the spirits of Silbury Hill, which is also very touching. It was a very touching yeah. moment. Yeah. All right. Well, so, you know, we've been talking about a lot of different things tonight, but it does come back to ourselves and how we receive this phenomenon and how well we know ourselves and how how well developed our presence is because in the end what is interacting with these other beings is our intellect for sure but our presence even more so and so that really is the um, topic of next week's uh, next week's 
night discussion. Show. It's called where, show, show. This is what's where, going wrong here. Where <laughs> I am in the hot seat, uh, hot seat that Colin yep. was in tonight, and I will be talking about the tools of engagement, the inner skills and awarenesses that we need to develop to expand our consciousness, to take on board this interaction. So I hope that you all come back next week and tune in. I'm, I'm excited about the show. And then from there, we're going to be having a show on emotional clarity using um, Constellation Process. We're going to be having a show on forgiveness. And it sounds like most people won't want to show up for that one, but you will want to show up because she has some pretty amazing things to say. So thank you all for tuning in. Thank you very much. Colin. Yes, my pleasure, Cynthia. Every- <laughs> Our world is changing. Yes. There's no getting off. So everybody have a really great week and we will see you next Monday. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. Exploring Beyond the Edge is heard every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until our next program, Dr. Cynthia Andrews wishes you a great week. 